off the ball, cheering on the girls in green. I followed the Irish women since 1983. 82,000 people, that's going to be something else. There'll be a hell of a lot of Irish in that, and it'll be a hell of a game as well. Love off the ball, we really do love off the ball. The Women's World Cup Show. On Off the Ball. With Sure Non-Stop Protection Deodorant. Official sponsor of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Well, it ended up being a 1-0 defeat for the Republic of Ireland in their opening game at the Women's World Cup this morning in Sydney. That second half penalty, the difference between the sides. But Ireland ended the game perhaps the strongest of the two and can have confidence that they can indeed get out of Group B and into the knockout phase. The Women's World Cup show on off the ball with Sure 72 hour non-stop protection tested to the limits. Sure, it won't let you down. I'd like to say Kathleen McNamee and Gavin Cooney join us to discuss the game. Kathleen is there indeed at a Stadium Australia. Um, you've been down obviously speaking to the players. Uh, I don't know if you've heard from Vera Pau uh, yet as we talked to here, Kathleen, but what's the general mood within the Ireland camp after that defeat? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to chat to Vera because she was talking at the same time as the players were available. But um, there was mixed emotions with the players. I mean, some of them were obviously upset. And, you know, Marissa Shiva walked by. She didn't talk to media, but she was clearly had been quite upset um, at the end of the game. Chatted to people like Louise Quinn were kind of more reflective. Same with Lucy Quinn as well. I think the team recognised that they did a really good job for the majority of the game and it was just that one mistake that kind of sank them in the end. Uh, they were all delighted with the turnout. None of them said that they were particularly phased either by the massive crowd and the massive amounts of attention. They seemed to handle all that side of things quite well. So, yeah, I think it's weird. Like there's definitely a sadness and an awareness from them that they left something on the pitch, but also a positivity that if they can build off this performance that they might actually be able to get another result or two. It seems to be an awareness that perhaps Australia on paper certainly gone into this game, we would have taken a point as being absolutely fantastic and now feels as if it is a point dropped because the second half and the change in impetus, I guess, that came along with the substitution showed that there was something to be taken from this game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was one of the pessimists coming into this game saying that we were going to lose 3-1 and then I did a hit on lunchtime live with Andrea Gillen at halftime and I was like, oh, actually, maybe 1-1. I'm going to change my uh, assessment. And that's very much how it felt. And I think you look at those last five minutes in particular, like the Louise Quinn header that just went wide and the couple of other opportunities we had, we were so close to getting a result. And I think what will frustrate this team is that it wasn't a moment of brilliance by... Australia, it was another individual mistake by us, which continually, continually is the thing that trips us up, which is really, really frustrating and something that we've worked so hard to eke out of our game, but it just keeps happening. Um, So I don't really know what Vera can do in the long term in terms of making sure it happens less and less because we need to stop these moments of madness in these big games. Gavin, you were watching it remotely like the rest of us. What were your thoughts on it? Uh, my main thought, Richie, was why am I not in Sydney and then I wouldn't have to listen to the RT commentary. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, we're I going there, are we? ITV. It was an absolute omni-shambles. The commentary was ahead of the play by, you know, five or six seconds at times and then it looped in and it cut out. It didn't work for the first half at all. Um, 
So those of you who had to stay loyal to RT and couldn't go to ITV will have realised that it was fixed itself out of the second half. But yeah, broadly agree with Kathleen there. Um, maybe I'm at risk of, of overrating Australia, to be honest. And obviously they were massively weakened and defanged without Sam Kerr. But I thought Ireland limited them to almost nothing. Obviously the penalty was a really soft penalty to give away, but they had only one shot on target outside of that. Uh, and Ireland made it a game in narrow margins, as they often do, and just lacked that little bit of quality and conviction in the penalty area uh, to earn a draw, to earn a draw that I think they probably deserved. I think you'd have to be very, very uncharitable to say that they didn't really deserve a draw in the end. And look, if you offered me 1-0 in the 95th minute and the ball breaks to Katie McCabe in the box on her left foot, you're thinking, I'd have bitten your hand off, Richie. But sadly, McCabe just couldn't get the right kind of connection on it. Um, and a potential point went to begging. But, you know, it was a defeat, but I think we're we're all still feeling pretty positive ahead of the, the Canada game next week. Yeah, I think this is uh, next to a one-all, which is the, the national result, of course. Um, a spirited 1-0 loss is probably next to, to the, to the one-all. And uh, like Kathleen, as you mentioned there, that chance breaking to Katie McCabe towards the end of the game, her game itself was a mixed bag. And there are those who would point out that she was... I don't know, an overly keyed up for, for a lot of this morning's game? Uh, Kenny McCabe was yeah. overly. Yeah, yeah. There was like several points during the game where I was like, she is going to get herself sent off. Her and Hayley Rasso in particular were going in and there was a couple of replays um, where like Katie was very clearly going in, like studs on people's feet and not holding back. And I actually think the Denise O'Sullivan yellow card probably wasn't a yellow card but I think the referee was getting really frustrated with Katie McCabe and then just Denise followed her at the wrong time and ended up getting the yellow card um, I think uh, I mean it's one of the things we love about Katie McCabe and it's one of the things that makes her such a brilliant player is that she does go all in now the difference is when she plays with Arsenal is that there tends to be more players running in there and kind of saying to her you know we need to chill the Jets a little bit here let's take that energy and refocus it whereas there's less players, I think, that can do that on the Irish team. Denise O'Sullivan and Louise Quinn are probably the top players. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, I saw a couple of the players walking through the mix zone and all of there was practically everyone had some sort of ice pack strapped to some part of their body. So it was a very, very physical game. And the Aussies were by no means innocent in it either. Taylor also, in particular, went in on Katie a couple of times. Gory as well was really hacking at the players. Um, I chatting to Louise Quinn. She had an absolutely massive shiner <laughs> on her face after a collision of heads, which was just an accidental one, in fairness. But um, yeah, they were kind of masters of the dark arts. I wasn't expecting it from them. The amount of time wasting for the last like 20, 30 minutes from Australia was absolutely criminal. And the referee, I should have added A, more time and B, definitely yellow carded at least two of them for the amount of like lying around and even the length of time it took them to take, say, like a free kick or the length of time it would take them to take a goal kick. It was really, really frustrating to watch and the Irish crowd in particular were getting very angry about it. It's understandable to a degree though as well, Gavin. You think about what we saw from New Zealand, particularly in the opening game and the circumstances I appreciate are are different in terms of the uh, level of abilities of the teams. But when you're playing in the opening match of a World Cup, as we've seen countless times, men's or women's, don't lose is is the one thing that you don't want to do when you're when you're going out there in your first game. 
Yeah, and that's regrettably the situation Ireland now find themselves in. So the hope now is obviously Australia go on and win all of the remaining games and turn second into a fight uh, between Ireland, Canada uh, and uh, and obviously Nigeria. So that is sadly an effect that befell Ireland. Australia were probably a bit nervous. We wondered how, we wondered how Ireland would deal with the occasion. Phil they dealt with it a lot better than Australia. And that makes sense. Ireland, there's obviously pressure on them and they're not used to playing in front of that kind of crowd, but neither are Australia. There's a lot more pressure on them. And then they had to deal with, um, Sam, well, I suppose they knew last night that Sam Kerr wasn't going to play, but they still had to deal with that, at the, relatively speaking, in the 11th hour. Um, the physicality that Ireland brought to I thought was really good. Uh, you could see the Australian manager was kind of raving and waving his arms like King Lear in the Heath down the sideline, uh, very angry at Ireland's physicality. And the other thing to it kind of left you asking, it's just like, I mean, what were the Colombian, Colombians <laughs> after two uh, violent... I had so many people tweeting me that. <laughs> I mean, were they armed? I mean, how would they do physical for this Irish team? Like, I mean, so that physicality, I thought was great. It definitely... And knocked Australia out of any kind of rhythm that they could um, that they could get into. So that physicality is a strength in the Irish performance. McCabe obviously relishes it, and I think uh, I'd be loath to to have that taken out or even tampened down at the out of Ireland's game. So yeah, but like going back to your, your question at the top, Richie, hmm. obviously a, a defeat in the opening game is exactly what you don't want. But at the same time, this is Ireland's toughest game in the group on paper at the very least. So um, as you say. I think they probably deserved a draw. They didn't create enough to say that it was an absolute robbery that they didn't get a draw, but there's enough in it uh, to take into next week. Um, we have to point out the the use of uh, the substitutes because it's something that as Vera has come under criticism for in the past. Um, she took, what, 18 minutes into the second half before she made a change. It was just after the hour when Lucy Quinn and Abby Larkin came on uh, for Marissa Shaver there and, and Sinead Farley. And Abby Larkin in particular made a huge amount of difference just in terms of the ability to have somebody else in the final third to try and create something there, Kathy. Yeah, I thought Abby Larkin was really impressive when she came on. And as you say, it was the team were getting to that stage where they were almost starting to play quite conservatively and were worrying about, you know, a, a breaking and then Australia breaking and getting us on the counter attack, which is something that Vera talked a lot about making sure it didn't happen with Australia, just with the pure pace they have in that team. But there was one stage where she made like a run up the wing and she crossed the ball like perfectly into, I don't remember who it was, was it Katie or someone? And like it just, the shot didn't come off, but it was just such a forward thinking movement. And she had absolutely no fear in driving at Australia, which was something that a lot of players didn't necessarily like even at the start of the game there was a moment where Kira Carusa was given an absolutely perfect ball by Katie McCabe and she just let her marker muscle her off the ball and she didn't there was like that split second where if she had just decided right I'm going to like tackle this and take on the shot like I mean she, she may not have scored it but at least she would have got a shot off whereas because she hesitated for that split second it gave her marker enough time to kind of muscle her off and take the ball away whereas with Abby Larkin she didn't seem to have that fear which I thought was really really impressive for like I mean youngest player to ever start in a World Cup for Ireland men's or women's now officially so yeah it it was a good performance from her and someone who's really grown in the last few months I've mentioned this in the last couple of weeks but um, whenever I was 
over in Marbella watching her play against China, I was really unimpressed. And I thought that like she looked really skittish on the ball and that she was like didn't have that power that was needed for an international level. And she has clearly put in a lot of work over the last couple of months because the performance she put in today was not the performance of someone her age who has literally never played in front of, you know, a couple of tens of thousands of people, never mind 75,000 people. And we should point out as well, Gav, because it bears repeating, like Abby Larkin is 18 years of age. The substitutes that Australia were able to call upon in the second half, 30 and 34 with mountains of caps underneath them as well. So the disparity in the squad's experience and at this level is huge. So to be able to be coming away from a game like that thinking we should have gotten a one-all draw, as conservatively as Ireland are forced to play during the course of most of their games, this performance actually should be rated pretty highly. That's what I think. I agree with you, Richie. We'll we'll see as the tournament goes on as to whether we're a danger of overrating Australia. They weren't that impressive today. Ireland should take some credit in making them look unimpressive. And obviously they were kind of, I said leave defined, but they were almost kind of lobotomized without without Sam Kerr up front. Like, I mean, Larkin was fantastic. And you wonder now, in rational terms, you say, well, she did a lot more than Sinead Farley. Should she now be starting the next game? You wonder if she may end up being kind of labelled uh, as super sub just because her impact was so good. Now, part of her impact was down to the, the state of the game. Like Ireland had to push a bit because they were behind. And the, the great frustration of, with Ireland's game is that they're they're so disciplined and diligent defensively. But just when they do get the ball, they they don't get many counter-attacking opportunities because especially the wing backs are so deep. There's so much ground to cover. There was there was a moment in the first half when when Shiva got the ball, really good position, and then it kind of advanced, advanced, advanced quite slowly so to allow people to get around her. And McCabe was charging up the left flank, but she seemed to have to charge up the full distance of the left flank. And then Shiva ended up playing this, playing this kind of lame ball inside for Caruso that didn't get there. And McCabe looked absolutely furious uh, that her lung-busting run up the left wing wasn't rewarded with a pass. So the game state definitely did change things. But Larkin's touch was a good bit better than some of the players, even those those who had started. Like, I mean, Denise's touch was a little bit off, I thought, at, at times in that game. Mm-hmm. I wonder, is that a legacy of her not getting full a full tra- like full week of training going into this after the uh, Farrago against Colombia last week? So Larkin was really impressive. And you know, the Sinead Farley thing is interesting, isn't it? Because she's clearly got a lot of technical ability as Sinead Farley. You'll see it from a, you know, won a challenge by the corner flag in the first half and a lovely, neat little back heel to get her out of trouble. But you wonder, is that skill set kind of wasted or at least in the position she's in, kind of wasted um, in the Irish team as it is? Like, I mean, do we like in in a kind of like the top right hand corner of a box midfield, do Ireland really need kind of tidy technique with Sinead Farley to get out of small spaces when in reality, the kind of the more dynamic and athletic Abby Larkin is maybe more suited uh, to that kind of role as Larkin showed off the bench uh, off the bench today? And the thing about it is, Kathleen, is as impressive as Larkin was off the bench and Lucy Quinn as well, shouldn't her, uh, her influence in the second half shouldn't be underestimated either. Vera Powell is pretty entrenched in her ways. Um, so there's not necessarily going to be all that much elbow room for change heading into that Canada game. No, she is pretty entrenched, but I do wonder after today, because of the appearances that certain players made and maybe the mistakes that other players made, will there be some changes? Um, just like what Gavin was saying there, I actually think that like Sinead Farley was massively important for us today in the sense that 
Tony Gustafsson said yesterday that they knew what area they were going to target. And it was very, very obvious from the off that they were targeting Heather Payne. And like Heather got herself in a couple of really tricky situations. And it was Sinead Farley constantly who was helping her get out of them. I mean, you talk about that back heel. That was like such a moment of brilliance. There was like a little ooh around the stadium whenever she did it. But there was just other things like the way she dictates the shape and the positioning of a lot of players around her is so impressive from Farley. And I think like what Abby Larkin brought when she came on was definitely what we needed at the time. But I I also wouldn't be writing off like what she did because like she was the one player that I was consistently saying to people around me she is playing really, really well and she is keeping us in this game, especially in those first few 15, 20 minutes when we looked a little bit shaky. Um, so like I don't know, maybe there's a world or a system where we are able to utilize both of those players in the way that will actually benefit us on the pitch at the same time. But um, yeah, I I also think like that we were crying out for someone who could come on and score goals. And uh, I don't know if anyone's ever heard her name, but there is a certain player on our bench who was very good at coming on and scoring goals when we need them the most. Because uh, that's the thing, like you had Abby, like we put Louise Quinn up front for the last like five minutes to score. Like we don't, we're not in a position anymore where that should be a necessity. We should be kind of thinking outside the box a little bit. And you know, I was watching Amber Barish had um, her bib on and off a couple of times whenever she was uh down training and I was like, is she gonna come on? Is she not gonna come on? Um so I definitely think there's there's definitely talking points there and there's players who have put their hand up, but as you say, Vera is very strict. Well that change Gav did seem to be a little bit odd at three minutes from the end when Izzy Atkinson was the one to come on for Kira Caruso when as Kathleen mentioned there, Amber Barrett's you know ready and waiting to come on, has a record of coming off the bench and scoring pretty important goals. Like sticking your centre half up top to try and get something flicked on is very much a character of a game where you're like it's the third game in the group and you really need to get a win to get out of it. This is a case of you needed somebody with a bit of you know eighteen yard box now, and Amber Barrett seemed to be the person to do that, and she was left on the bench. Yeah, it does strike you as a slightly inelegant game plan, isn't it, to put Louise Quinn up front for the last few minutes? What it would say is that it's not. I don't think it's necessarily an act of desperation. Like, it is a game plan. Like, Ireland did go to a back four to put Quinn up front there. So that's something, and like, we've seen it happen multiple times now. So it's clearly something that they work on. But, and like, Amber Barrett now, we're very close to Wes Hoolan territory, I feel, already. <laughs> given given her importance in uh, in getting us to, in getting us the World Cup, given how it seems, seemingly it was a close run thing for her getting into the World Cup squad at all. Um, I know there are people crying out for her to come on. I can, I can maybe understand why she didn't come on in the last few minutes, just because of kind of again the state of the game. Like I mean, Australia are going to pack their penalty area; they're going to be happy at one nil. Um, and excuse me, and is Amber Barrett at her best in those kind of packed penalty areas with not a whole lot of room for a maneuver? Not necessarily. Like I mean, the, the, her kind of archetypal goal was the one that was scored against Scotland. So I would be less exercised by Amber Barrett not coming off the bench than I would be. Amber Barton not starting. I I really think that she she has proven that she offers more than than Kira Caruso, who who again kind of really it's a okay really tough gig in all fairness, but 
didn't do a whole lot, you know, and there was that moment in the first half, and Kathleen's alluded to it, McCabe flights this lovely four iron over the top of the Australia defence for Caruso to run onto, and she either doesn't have the pace or just doesn't have the conviction to get onto it, and she's muscled off the ball, and you're just thinking Amber Barrett in Glasgow, like she runs onto that ball, and ironically, Ireland's Leanne Kiernan's not going is not at the World Cup, so maybe Barrett is the best player Ireland have at exposing space behind a defence. And Ireland, and that space generally there from minute one in games for Ireland because they they sit so deep. So I can maybe understand why Barrett didn't come off the bench, but I definitely think that, you know, she would have been a contender to start. Uh, Kathleen, Vera would always point towards Kira Cruz's ability to hold up the ball. We've seen countless examples of it in the past as well, where she's able to hold it up notionally and bring others into the play. And that's what she's looking for with the centre-forward ro- centre role as Vera Powell has defined it and what she sees a centre-forward bringing to her outlook on the game rather than it just being a case of a striker that gets goals. She wants somebody who can actually aid those players around her and I guess that's going to be her defence in, in picking Caruso over Amber Barrett. Boy, how do you see it? Yeah, like I've always been a massive fan and someone who kind of talks about Caruso. I think she should have been given an opportunity before this. Like I I said for a long time, whenever Heather Payne was playing in that role that, you know, she should have been there and because it would have suited her a lot better, especially when you look at what she did um, at Kaj. I, I think that like what you said there is definitely going to be Vera's excuse, but we've seen the proof as well that, okay, yeah, you want a player who can hold up, but also what about if we actually had someone that can score goals and let the rest of the team take on a slightly different shape and a little bit more work to make sure that we're still covered? Like, I I also think it's unfair to say that, you know, Amber couldn't develop in that role a little bit more if without given the opportunity to do it because she's never really had to. She's only ever come on you know, and had to do that kind of hero performance for the last 30, 20, 20 30 minutes. Um, and we've seen with Vera over the last couple of months that as sticky as she is, she's a, she's been happy enough to change up her system so that it suits the likes of Farley and Shiva. So if we have someone on the team with a proven goal scoring record, who's done it for an all done it for all of us in the big moments. I just I don't really understand why there's not an opportunity there for a player like that to try. And maybe she'll say like Barrett hasn't played all that much this season, but I think like she has, she's shown her worth in the last couple of games. So I think she's definitely worth a shout. And the thing about it is as well, she'd probably say as well, she's not looking for players to develop uh, in the group stages of a World Cup. She wants people that she knows can perform certain roles. And that's, I guess, the the defence that we're going to have to put up with. Gav, do you see many changes or any changes going into that Canada game? Uh, it's hard to know, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I don't think, obviously a tough day for Marissa Shiva. She was very emotional and, and well, she was crying on the bench after she was subbed off after she um, conceded that penalty. Just briefly on the penalty, actually. Go on. I kind of, it was obviously a clumsy foul. It, it, was, it was a penalty. It was a venial sin, but like, you know, there wasn't any mitigation against it. It's definitely a penalty. What kind of annoyed me, or what kind of frustrated me was that why is Shiva backtracking uh, Razo there? Like, I mean, that's McCabe's job. And like the whole, I mean, Ireland, Ireland's great kind of defensive compromise is that McCabe plays left wing back and it's often kind of too deep mm-hmm. for us because, I mean, our best, I mean, I know we're kind of talking about strikers and who might get us a goal, who might not. Katie McCabe will get us a goal if uh, she's further 
um, if she's close to the opposition goal, she plays more defensively because Ireland have more more of a defensive outlook. I think that's fair. Like it's got mm. us this far. But then in that key moment, it's not McCabe tracking uh, Razo. It's it's Marissa Schneider who's meant to be playing in front of McCabe. So I kind of thought that was that was kind of frustrating that you know the Ireland have this defensive system. They compromise much of their attack um, uh, to balance it that way, and then it was undermined um, because uh, I don't know. I I need. To I look. think that was a tactical decision though because there was that wasn't the only time that happened because I actually I was sitting beside your colleague Sinead O'Carroll during it and I pointed it out a couple of times. I was like, I don't understand. You can see whenever McKay went up forward, Shiva would drop back into her position and cover it for her, and then whenever McKay came back, Shiva would. Then and go in, in front of her and I was like why are we pushing the smallest person on the pitch into like our five person defensive final line like it made absolutely no sense in my mind but it was clearly something that had been discussed and that was like decided among the team and not just a random happening because it happened several times yeah um it obviously, you know, it didn't work out. Obviously, in that moment, like Shiva could have done better. But and I, I know, look, it's one tiny isolated moment in a very dynamic game, and that was a very intense, physical, very fast game. Like so, you know, maybe we're we're we can be guilty of zoning in on these things too much and being overcritical. But I just I thought I, I found that kind of frustrating. If you're just gonna if you're gonna end up in these moments anyway, why not let McCabe? roam a bit more? Um, sorry, there was a massive tangent, Richie. To go back to your earlier That's question, absolutely fine. Uh, I don't know. I can't. I don't think that there should be many changes. To be honest, like I mean, the back three were really good. Um, Payne, Heather Payne was really good. McCabe was <laughs> will obviously play again. Uh, Denise O'Sullivan will will be better against Canada. So I think maybe someone in place of Shiva, maybe Larkin can play that side. Kathy makes a you know a very compelling argument as to why Sinead Farley should be retained to to play the uh, play at least the first hour of uh, the Canada game. So maybe there'll be a change there. But this is clearly. This is the first team. Like, I mean, this has been picked. This was picked weeks ago. This is what started against France. As far as I know, the first team flew over to Australia a day before uh, the rest of the team. If I'm right, yeah. Captain, be able to correct yeah, me. Yeah, that's right. So there's very clear. The demarcations are very clear there. So um, maybe Larkin is forced away into the team. But I just think often when you make that kind of impact off the bench, a manager likes to think you make that impact off the bench for me again. And we still don't know what what necessarily to expect from Canada in this second game because we still have to wait until the early hours of tomorrow morning to get a look at them, Kathleen. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's funny even because I've spent a lot of time. I'm sorry, I have a little notice coming over here in case you guys can hear it as well. Um, because I've been so focused on Ireland all day, I actually just forgot that the other match was happening and that there is another match that we have to pay attention to in the morning. Um, I'm so curious to see how the other two teams turn up because they've had such a weird run into this tournament and we have had so few opportunities to actually see them in any sort of warm-up games because they haven't just, like their federations have been terrible at organizing them for them. So yeah, it's going to be a really, really interesting affair between the two. Um, on the opening game as well, Gav, I don't know how much you saw of it, but it was an interesting occasion to see New Zealand rock Norway the way they did. Yeah, I actually, I saw maybe like five, 10 minutes of it in total um, because I was outside gathering different bits of information from all the fans and chatting to them. Uh, I mean, what a turn up for New Zealand and the fact they missed the penalty as well, probably one of the worst penalties I've ever seen taken in my life. Um, but yeah I mean a historic moment for them especially in the context of everything that's happened there over the last couple of days yeah we are up and running and we will have more World Cup shows for you throughout the course of the tournament for now Gav thanks so much for your input Kathleen we'll let you get to bed because it's late over there I imagine 
Sadly, I'm going straight to the airport to fly back to Brisbane. So Kathleen will not be sleeping uh, for at least another 12 hours when I check into my new hotel. So uh, yeah, there you go, folks. Very the, tired. the glamour of sports <laughs> journalism. Uh, thanks so much to you both. The Women's World Cup Show on Off the Ball with Sure Nonstop Protection Deodorant, official sponsor of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023.